everyone. Welcome to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chong. Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well. The winter holidays are almost upon us and here's hoping for a better new year. The news about COVID and all the variants doesn't seem to end, so stay safe wherever you are. For this week, I have May Melissa Cat, a multidisciplinary artist whose work spans video, paintings, glass, and live performances. May grew up in Chicago and graduated from the Cooper Union School of Art in New York City. Her work plays a critical role on the dominant discourses towards the community, the fantasy of the cultural other, and how contemporary art appropriated social imaginaries, bringing them into a diluted universal conception of art. I spoke with May while she was finishing up a residency at Bunker Projects in Pittsburgh a few months ago, the city I used to live in. We ended up discussing third culture kids, zombie formalism, Thai horror films, mukbang, ASMR videos, and so much more. As usual, stay safe, stay healthy, and I hope you enjoy this. I was like setting the space up and stuff. Like I like sage the space, and now I have to make sage space. <laughs> <laughs> <But> yeah. <laughs> You ready? You got your sage? Yeah, I got my sage. I like. I had coffee, but I was like, it's at night. I kind of want wine, so I put whiskey in it. But <laughs> I, I almost did though. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's all right. I mean, I've had guests uh, in different various states talk to me before, so. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I I would, but then the the repercussions of that might, you know, like. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. but I, you know, my goal, my goal's never been to make someone look bad. So I don't think I've had any complaints so far. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. Yeah. So yeah. How, how's your day been? It's nighttime for you. What, what have you been up to today? Yeah. So um, I'm in Pittsburgh right now at Bunga Projects at a residency with Justin Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. And so I've been here for um, since like the end of October. And originally I live in Portland and I grew up in Chicago. So I really like Pittsburgh so far. Yeah. Um, it definitely has its own feel and vibe, you know, yeah. like every city. Yeah. Yeah. You think so, you're going to live there? I don't know. You know, like <laughs> I feel like, you know, like going coastal, like East Coast and yeah. West Coast and yeah, like yeah. Pittsburgh being this Bible belt also. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm getting a lot of feels and, um, you know, I, I kind of miss the West Coast. So, yeah. Well, it's hard to compare. <laughs> They're so different. Sure, yeah. 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 So are you uh, working on any projects right now while in Bunker? Did you did you have a sh- show yet there for your residency or is it coming up? I have not had a show yet at Bunker. And so I've been working on multiple things so that I could okay. potentially have a show. Okay. All right. So yeah. And also like I work in like I have to have multiple things going on. And so like I just... I, it's like I have to work on all of them or else nothing goes like yeah, so yeah, like yeah. How yeah, my yeah. process yeah. yeah I know I know that feeling I'm sort of like everything goes or nothing goes but I, I really can only work on one thing at a time but it's oh, yeah yeah and also I I had a show in bunker I think in 2017 so 
Yeah, so yeah. I'm familiar with that space. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited that you're there and I'm excited to see what you end up doing in that space. So yeah, before we talk about all the different kinds of works that you do all at once, I was curious if you could quickly talk about, you know, how you got into art and sort of the path and journey that you took to get to where you are today. Sure, yeah. So I went to school at Cooper Union. And before that, I was just, you know, another poor first generation student living in Chicago with my immigrant parents who were like, what is art what are you doing this is weird this is a disappointment but then I went to a community college and met a really great professor who was like you know we're across the street from um the school of the art institute but like uh-huh. you all are as good as those kids and so that kind of like fired up my path to go towards art and go for it this was a professor at the community college yeah and I think a lot of art professors there like had that feeling, you know, about mm. like brown and black kids of color. Like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. man, like you all can do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And this path is also for you. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I put some like garlic in like Cooper Union, like home test and mailed it and put like a Mulan doll that I cut in half. I was like 19. <laughs> I was like, Here you go. And yeah. Yeah. And next thing I knew, I was at Cooper. <laughs> so you're a transfer student. So you didn't have to do that, the 10 drawings, the 10 assignments. Oh, I, I did do it. I went there, like I started over because I, I was only at a community college for like a semester. Uh, so yeah, I was there like around zombie formalism. Yeah, and that yeah. was fun. Did you like zombie formalism? I had to recover from a lot of PTSD oh, okay. from zombie formalism. <laughs> Which uh, one? Yeah. <laughs> to like you mean through the critiques about them you mean in, in art school is that what you mean <laughs> you know like art was different back then like I actually had a talk with Cooper students like last month and I was uh-huh. like yeah Cooper was like a dark place you know it was like Obama era and everything yeah. was like post-racial and then you got art bros like having their moment mm-hmm. so yeah and like that period in like art school you know, like kind of made me not want to pursue art after mm. art school. And mm-hmm. I had a lot of friends that had the same feelings. But then like, I kind of have to reconcile with it and had to be like, this is how I think. This is who I am. This is how my yeah. brain works. Yeah. And just have to reconcile that like these systems weren't made for me to navigate in. And I but I can do my best. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, so I because I noticed at least when I was looking through your history, in your CV, like you took a, a break between when you graduated from Cooper Union and all the work, at least on your website, seems to start around 2018. So after Cooper, did you move to Portland? Because I, I noticed that you're based also in Portland. I'm not sure what that timeline was like, or you, or you moved back to Chicago. Yeah, I had a weird hitchhiking phase and I was like traveling. And then I went to Portland and I got enamored by like you know, the futuristic Paul Bunyan. And I was like, this is where I'm going to retire. Oh, really? Like many millennials. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Let's just play the ukulele at the park all day. Like <laughs> like Portlandia 24-7. You think it was quirky. And then you're like, oh my God, there's goats and neo-Nazis. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, <laughs> this is the Portland that they didn't tell you about. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I went to Portland and I kind of like, you know, the freelancing gig but also like dipped in education and doing community events until I realized that I was like, I need to do art. Yeah. Yeah. 
I always tell like students, undergrads who want to go directly to grad school, I'm like, you should take a few years, figure out if you want, really want to do it, you know, uh, if you want to do it after doing a nine to five job or paying bills and, and if that drive is still there, because it's easy to yeah. forget that when you have to do it with a grade and someone's kind of standing over your shoulder, they're like, yeah, I can do it. But when no one's doing that, do you still want to? And it's important to kind of figure out for yourself if that's the thing you really want to do. For sure. And I think that's a great advice. You know, it's okay if you want to take a break from art. Don't feel guilty that you have to. Don't feel ashamed. And it's totally fine if you're like, I want to be a normie, you know. <laughs> but if you still have that calling, if you still have that calling, you yeah. know, definitely turn towards it. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess what was the transition? Like, how did you, you know, start back up with art? And, you know, I, I don't know if there's a, a moment of you just kind of experimenting or the works that are on your website, this directly went into the works that you started out with. So, I mean, I was, I was really interested in all the different ways that you kind of, you know, express these ideas of otherness, these ideas of a sort of South Asian diaspora. You do like videos, you do performance, you do sculpture. And it was this sort of like the kind of work that you were, you know, doing in Cooper Union, this sort of multimedia stuff, or were you doing zombie formalism? And this was your reaction to zombie formalism. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked that question. <laughs> so I noticed that when I was in school, yeah, artists of color making work about their culture, yeah. art we seen as artists with the capital A. Yeah. And what they would make aren't really seen as art with a capital A. Mm -hmm. It's more like they're seen as cultural workers making some artifacts. And so I guess I had that revival of like when I wanted to go back to art, I was like, okay, I, I want to like to commit to something and being like a third culture kid. You know, you're like curious about where your parents came from. Did you say third third culture kid? Is that what you said? Yeah. Well, I didn't. I, I've never heard that before. Yeah, yeah. Third culture kids are usually like first gen uh -huh. kids or or later. You know, um, second gen who are very curious about the culture that their parents had to leave behind for mm -hmm. a single gen. And so they began the voyage to, you know, quote unquote, the motherland. They began to like seek the languages that their parents had to leave behind and not teach them and all of that. So is the third culture the combination of where their parents came from and they're born? Or why is the third culture? Wouldn't it be? I really um, don't remember that okay. academic. Oh, okay. So, sorry. No, no. <laughs> like, I was, I was just, I've never heard that term. So I'm just trying to, I'm trying to figure it out. That's all. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> So I yeah. guess I'm a, I'm a third culture kid too, right? Since I'm back in the motherland. And I, and I think that's okay, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think that's okay, like wanting to explore the heritage that you are the heir to. Mm -hmm. I think it's totally okay to try to go back and see like what was the culture that made your parents. And, you know, I, I've committed to that and I, I recognize the tropes. I recognize the traps. Mm -hmm. It's trapping, you know, like, am I like appropriating my own culture? Is there self-orientalism? You know, is there like mm -hmm. playing up a certain aspect of identity for visibility, right? And just playing with those identity tropes. So uh, this is where I decided to commit to myself and this mm -hmm. is where I kind of landed. Mm. So then were you... What was the work that you're doing at Cooper Union? A zombie formalist? Oh, it was. No, I, it was, it was. <laughs> no. 
the art I was making in undergrad was uh, nudes. I'm just kidding. I no, it was like <laughs> zombie. <laughs> I was not. Was I making zombie formalism? Well, okay. So I'm question. How how would you describe zombie formalism? Zombie formalism are usually abstract expressionist paintings that have uh, theoretical interactions with them. So mm. the things that I remember was like, this painting was uh, lit on fire. This painting was painted by um, a fire e- extinguisher. This painting had mm-hmm. the, the word yoga on it and nothing else. You know, and, and it fits very nicely on top of someone's couch mm-hmm. um, that was rich. And usually there's a, a formula of like, oh, they're just like bros who was at art school. They had like a large following on Instagram and they were like in their undergrad or, you know, in grad school. Yeah. Zombie formalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I was just curious because, you know, these terms get thrown around so much. I, I read it from afar, right? So I think I was uh, not really dealing with it directly. I, I'd be like reading about it on art form, be like, oh, here's like a zombie formalism is here to stay. And I'd be like, all right. And also at, at uh, my grad program, you know, painting wasn't like a big sort of, no one really painted there. They were, everyone was sort of like a ex-painter. So th- that specific discussion was not one that was very carefully dissected other than... <laughs> You know, if you happen to read a review or critique, that's why I was sort of interested since you were in Cooper Union, you know, in New York City at that time, you know, in terms of like the fire extinguisher, I'm like, you know, I immediately think of, uh, was it Lucian Smith, right, who did those fire extinguisher paintings, but like, I, I, no one was really discussing them beyond like, oh, okay, there's this painter who did that, you know, so that's why I was sort of curious about it. Yeah, yeah, it was an important period for sure. So, you know, like I had to like go back. Like when I had to reconcile with myself of like, I actually want to do art. I had to like go back to like that time period. And I was like, yeah. it was really painful to look <laughs> at and like remember like the, the critiques that I would get, you know, like yeah, as like yeah. a power as a woman, you know, things like you only did this because it looked pretty, you know, like how misogynistic is that? Just like my heart. Wait, they say that to you, but with the zombie formalists get away with the same thing? No, they're just like whoa man that yoga word just like such like lots of jokes like wonder what it means yeah 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 yeah, I I had to read about it and kind of like understand like the bubble like fads and Mm -hmm. you know why you do what you do yeah yeah why you salute to what you do yeah, totally. I mean, you know, I had to sort of figure that out too. My experience also is like kind of like what you said. I think for a long time, I think if you were making work about, I guess, your parents, your parents' country, or what do you call it, third culture, as, as a third culture kid, you know, I think part of that was also this question uh, when you show your work is sort of like how, how do these people discuss it since they have had so few instances of knowing how to discuss it and a sort of support in any sort of intellectual or even humanly way to have these sort of discussions. And so you would always, like you said, question it. And yeah, I think for me, always like figuring out, you know, how much of this was appropriation, how much of this do I discuss? And I think at least the work that I've seen you made, it seems like you kind of became this, you know, the person that you are uh, with the decisions that you made in terms of like, yes, this is exactly what I'm going to do. And I'm going to sort of be in your face about it. And sort of like, you know, I think you have that video, the Birch at Foreigner, 
the Frankie Knock video. That seemed like I th that I think that's like your one of your earlier videos, or that seemed like the message that you wanted to say, like I am here, you know, as the artist that you are, as as May Melissa Cat. And yeah, I was curious, you know, how that specific video came to be. Um, did you travel in Thailand and experience these what expats kind of doing their thing? <laughs> Yeah, so full-on keynote, Bridget Foreigner, is a, a video that has two characters played by me. One is an, a white expat talking about race issues and his wife who corrects him and eventually like burns him. And there's a cliffhanger on like what happens to him, right? And that was kind of like, I was taking a lot of conversations that expats, white expats mm -hmm. uh, would say and comments on, especially when it comes to race. That was done around the George Floyd um, protest mm -hmm. uh, in the summer of 2020. And I was at Chautauqua Visual Arts Residency Program. And that was for a workshop with Caleb Quincy. So if you okay. watch that, you can see, yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. that he has, right? <laughs> with the, the voiceover and, and the dubbing. And, you know, I've always, I mean, honestly, he's like one of my art heroes. And I actually saw him at CMU speaking and I was like, his videos are like way ahead of his time. Yeah. But yeah, I, that, that was made during his workshop. Oh, nice. You asked, did I experience that like in Thailand, like the expats? The thing about expats is that they come to you. Like if you're like an Asian woman, yeah. they're like, ooh, like I'm just going to put my hand on her because like I did that in like some province in Thailand. And it's like, I'm in Chicago. Like, why are you touching me? <laughs> you know? Uh, and, you know, they're like curious about you because they want to fetishize you. They have this like imagination of like the docile, like Asian women. And so acknowledging like that power dynamic, like acknowledging like that's the currency and the exchange that they're forcing. I kind of like wanted to put that in that video mm -hmm. and just talk about like, why do people seek international marriages when there are cultural and language barriers, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, that's great that you got to meet Caleb Lindsay. I think I met him once at an Oxbow. He was there for like a few days. But yeah, I see that link directly. I didn't realize that you were taking a workshop, but yeah, it's like totally, totally that sort of everything about that was, I think I can see the uh, the references and the influences of Caleb's thing. Have you been to Thailand? A little bit when I was younger, but okay. like, you know, I don't have the money or like my parents yeah. are in Chicago. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, I've been reading a lot about the protests in Thailand and now I'm like actually really curious. Yeah, I felt like I could read a lot, a lot about all these different things, but then kind of living here, yeah, it's just different. And if, I, I thought it was interesting when you were talking about these sort of expats, you know, I think a lot about expats in terms of like, why are Americans the only ones considered expats? But like, if you're an immigrant who comes to, you know, the US, it's not like your parents are expats, right? It's like, it's a very specific designation for who is an expatriate and who also likes calling themselves expats, right? Like you've got all these Americans in Asia, you know, shouting out like, hey, I'm an expat, you know, but uh, there's this sort of weird power dynamic that happens. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like expats there are called Falang, which just means like a white person, but then they'll uh -huh. go on like a YouTube channel and they're like, this is so hurtful. It hurts me when they don't call me by my name. They call me a Fulang. And I was like, okay, boomer. Yeah, yeah. And like, that's usually their thing. And then to tie that in with like the Fulang keynote, which means yeah, yeah. bird shit foreigner, it's like, you just got to accept it, man. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's just different levels of power dynamics with this stuff. But 
you know, I laughed also a lot at Farong Kino video just because in my experience, at least all the white foreigners in these Asian countries, they're like, if you actually speak English, they're awkward as shit. For sure, yeah. They're definitely put on a pedestal. Yeah, because yeah. Because white is put on a pedestal. And like the European powers, it's kind of responsible for making the modern Thailand, right? So yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. After that, I also noticed you have this sort of love of horror films. Yeah, I, I love Thai horror films. Uh-huh. I am Thai horror films. And so the Thai horror films came about with my like obsession with this ghost, the Southeast Asian ghost called P. Grasu. Mm-hmm. And she's basically a Cambodian princess who, I guess, like had to marry a Thai prince. Okay. But she was caught having an, a, an affair with a soldier. And so okay. they were going to burn her. And the day of, she went to a witch. And the witch gave her a potion so that she wouldn't be burned. But it only worked due to the timing. So her insides, like her intestines and organs and her head was the only remaining part of her. And so she became this vampiric, cannibalistic ghost that, you know, flies at night. And she Uh has like this green glow, I guess, according to this like Thai soap opera. But, you know, she's like a social construct and she's used to like enforce certain things throughout centuries. Right. And I love seeing her like in like contemporary movies, <laughs> like she's like still existing, you know, she's like still like having romances with like people here. <laughs> and so that came about when I was young, like my grandmother would like wake me up to school with mm. like this Thai ghost soap opera. And I realized that that's like not normal that your grandma would put on. She'd wake you up with that? Yeah, she's a Gemini. And she's like, you know, I'm just going to put on this VHS tape and wake my grandchild up. And like every morning for school at like 6 a.m., I'm just like hearing the same song. And I just like wake up to like this drama, like yeah. soap opera drama of like uh-huh. 90s or 80s Thai soap. <laughs> And then growing up, I was like, I'm forever haunted by that. I'm, mm. I have that inside of me, you know, yeah. like the theme song, like the ghost that they made for film, mm-hmm. you know? And so I wanted to explore that in my work. So yeah, for Open Signal New Media Fellowship in 2018, I yeah. proposed that I would watch Thai horror movies for a year. And that was a very interesting research. Yeah. I The reason I was curious is because I have a hard time watching horror films in general. So. Okay. <laughs> uh, I thought I meant, I'm curious because I too have a Gemini grandmother. But yeah. 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 I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, but. I went, but when I was looking at your at your videos, I mean, I think it was not just about the horror, but like you said about the ghosts, right? I think that part is really, you know, I think a lot about just the way that our ideas and conceptions of Western ghosts are different from ideas and, and conceptions of ghosts and also the afterlife and like, you know, karma that kind of exists in Asia and different parts of Southeast and Central Asia. And, you know, you've done a work, like you said, believe Karmic 1, and then you're working on Karmic 2, you know, dealing with watching these horror films. And I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, how you think maybe ghosts kind of are different and function as different things in, say, Thai culture than, you know, Western or American cultures, ideas of ghosts. For sure, yeah. The project Karmic 1 was at Open Signal. And this was uh, me watching 
Thai contemporary horror movies for a year um, with some like B movies as well from like the 90s, but mostly contemporary and kind of seeing the emerging themes that happens, you know, a lot of like the monstrous feminine what's happening, you know, you have like the dutiful mother, you have like the girlfriend. And I noticed certain themes like the brutalization of Asian women's body, you know, being manipulated on film, but like also on the set, it's like usually men who are the directors and things like that, right? I also noticed a lot of like Buddhist propaganda. Like, mm. so when we were talking about like Western horror movies, it's like, there's a lot of slasher, right? <laughs> there's a lot yeah, of like blood, yeah, yeah. makes it scary. Like yeah. there's a lot of gore. Yeah. There's a lot of like the horror of like seeing your insides, like crossing the threshold of your skin mm-hmm. coming out, right? And what that symbolizes. Um, in some of the movies, it's like in Thai, I really like poistergeizing. <laughs> I really like it when they haunt through objects, mm-hmm. when they haunt through like absence mm-hmm. of their bodies. And, you know, there's something to be said about like Western movies that like rely on linear Abrahamic like time yeah, and yeah, like yeah. Buddhist, like versus Buddhist, like cynical, cynical? Buddhist time yeah 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 like cycles like certain yeah yeah cosmology that like restarts again so like Mm -hmm. the concept of reincarnation of like karma of like undoing certain deeds or like doing certain deeds to balance out the karmic scale and so that was why like i title it karmic one Mm -hmm. because i just wanted to touch on the idea of cycles, the idea of like karma, the idea of reincarnation. So in one of the videos, I was collecting sunsets and sunrises in horror movies to kind of talk Mm -hmm. about reincarnation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I noticed that horror movies rely on sounds, like the sonic components Mm -hmm. tells you when to be scared. (laughs) Sometimes they trick you. Sometimes they manipulate your emotions. You know, they play with your feelings. It really affects me, those sounds. (laughs) sure and sometimes that's just it like it's just like the sounds that yeah, like yeah, is yeah. giving you the bodily yeah. sensations yeah you know and, and so i've decided to take out the sonic components mm. and rely on your eyes i guess and so with karmic 2 um, i'm really excited about this because i get to make the soundscapes uh, hopefully i can make like these like dreamscapes of like ghosts mm-hmm. so so i've been working on that and and so what exactly will it happen? It was it would it be just the soundscapes, or you're also going to be uh, having additional films with it? It's up in the air, you know. Oh, okay, okay, uh, all right. If, if the visual is called to like interact with the sound, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then yeah, they will be there. The, and the reason of it being karmic too is that like I really like the idea of like cycles, right? Like I want this to like mm-hmm. continue, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I want to see what I did after karmic two to lead it to karmic three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like you, like you just said, like a sort of cycle. And yeah, I mean, when I'm thinking about these sort of cycles and karma, I mean, the first, I think the first Thai movie that I was exposed to with this sort of topic, I'm sure you've seen it. The you know, Uncle Bumi, who can recall his past lives. Yeah. What did you think of that? Was that too slow and artsy or? Okay. 
What? That's so funny you mentioned that because I just posted a meme about that. <laughs> it's oh, you like did? spirit memes. <laughs> <I'm> like, yeah. <laughs> what did I think about it? Um, I love his style yeah. of cinematography. Like I love how they're paintings that mm, tell yeah. its own stories. Yeah, yeah. I love that there's like political like statements like embedded into like the lines that the character mm. like you know. Mm very careful with the word choices I, I like that a lot yeah and, and the the spirit monkey memes was also a plus after <laughs> yeah I that was the first time that was sort of like I think like kind of like you said these sort of spirits that we are that are reincarnated they don't necessarily have to exist as a sort of haunting in the same way right and then they kind of is a sort of maybe a, a way to sort of you know simply talk about the past and and also this idea that they can just live with us without having to uh, have any explanation, right? And sort of an acceptance of it. And also, I think the film is interesting in the sense it didn't try to explain any of these things to a Western audience. Just like, nope, here's a ghost. He's just going to show up. You're, you know, these characters are going to talk talk about it. And as if it's a normal sort of thing, you know? Yeah. I'm so glad you you mentioned that, like, there's no... You don't have to explain or like account for them why they're there. Like I've been toying with that. Like, what if I make things in certain timelines that I'm not accountable to? Like, what if I just make things that I don't have to explain that they just exist in yeah. a certain universe? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because like in contrast to a lot of horror films, like the ghost tends to have a origin story, right? And a reason for <laughs> being a ghost, right? Like they were really murderized. Like like what? Like I'm curious. Like, what do you mean? Like having an origin story? Yeah. Like, can you give me an example of a horror movie? Trying to think, you know, all the paranormal activities, right? There were like some sort of exorcism that happened or like a devil that was, that came out. But, you know, it was through the, yeah, there's like, there's a story which the main character seeks out to uncover. And then usually upon finding out that's when the movie ends or, or, you know, there's like the completion is the explanation, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah, those those story structures are like a mystery that you're trying to uncover and like what the writing is beginning to reveal. Sometimes yeah. they trick you with certain things in the beginning. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, like I noticed that as well in like certain horror movies where this is like a detective story, you know, <laughs> but like you have like a scary ghost. And so yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it's nice to like be able to dissect movies where you're like not scared anymore and you're like, oh my God, is that like strawberry jam? Like as blood? <laughs> like you're just like trying to figure out the set, you know, yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. it's a great feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually right now I have a video project on the backlog that deals with horror I, where I have like a Michael Myers mask and I'm still trying to figure out what exactly to do with it. I, I have all the... F- filming like I'm not filming anymore with the Michael Myers mask but I haven't decided if I wanted to you know what to talk about exactly but yeah so and that for me that I forced myself to watch Halloween because like I said I don't enjoy it so sort of like I watched only I only watched the first one to sort of Mm -hmm. kind of get a feel for this Mm -hmm. but I was thinking of the Michael Myers as sort of this white horror sort of blanket white horror sort of thing but what what i'll do with i don't know but i was i was thinking about that as i saw all your videos and uh, projects with horror films yeah that sounds exciting white horror yeah i want to know yeah sounds exciting so yeah and i guess 
I'm also curious, the other video that I saw, you know, I think as you were talking about, you work on all these different projects at once. You also had a ASMR mukbang video, which is talking about a whole another subculture of, I'm not even sure where, where, how to describe it, but I believe it started in like Korea, right? Or Japan, you know, this idea of these yeah. sort of, uh, you know, skinny Asian women eating huge amounts of food for, as a sort of weird food porn for the internet that has caught on and now I feel like it's everywhere I feel like I've seen western versions of it my students in China are making work about mukbang videos and you know how did you end up deciding to eat Thai food as a sort of ASMR mukbang video and and what was that experience like being suddenly being on the stage and watched um, in a sort of different setting yeah I'm glad we landed on ASMR because it ties into like the sonic components, the mm-hmm. new visceral body sensations, right? And ASMR was actually started in South Korea. This is from what I read <laughs> way, way back then when okay. I was like, this is the format. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. like, you, yeah, it was started in South Korea as a, so what happens is that you have a host that's eating large amount of food in front of a webcam with others. Mm-hmm. And it's a way to cure loneliness. Mm. Yeah. So it was a communal thing where people mm. can share food, you know, like large amount of food, mm-hmm. like plentiful food. And then it like went into like, these slurpy sounds are intriguing. Yeah, <laughs> and then it was yeah. like, I wonder what they're eating. And then it's like, I'm obsessed with their nails digging into those yeah, yeah, fluffy yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. And so it like spiraled into like very sensational thing as yeah, yeah. like out of I'm doing this with my friends mm-hmm. as a community. Mm-hmm. And so I just really like that the idea of like consumption, like consuming things was also like embedded on there where mm-hmm. you're literally eating food, mm-hmm. you're like masticating food. But also when you make these sounds, the audience takes it and they get a visceral sensation. So they're like taking what I'm like consuming and just like having an experience themselves. Right, right, right. And so I wanted to um, be respectful of like the ASMR community. I wanted to be respectful of like the mukbang community, right? And so I kind of like joined like some YouTube groups to like read about their ethics and rules, you know, like a good ASMRist like doesn't do things sexually and like things like that. Um, I didn't know that. I didn't know all these rules existed. Me too. Yeah, you know, and it's like, you know, some people are really helped by ASMR, like there's like role playing, you know, like mm-hmm, best friends yeah. with your hair and things like mm-hmm. that. Like there's definitely like healing components that, you know, as like the younger generation that get from it. And so I wanted to be respectful of that space. I like didn't want it to like make fun of them of like yeah, yeah. these like whispers. And some people think they're sexual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like some people just wanted to watch people eat food, you know, like there's a certain enjoyment. So I didn't want to be little like the community at all but i'm using the format as a way to like talk about certain things and so i did a performance like a public performance at the santa fe art institute where i set up large speakers and there's like a live audience and i was in the other room eating pad thai mm-hmm. with like two mics on me mm-hmm. and the audience gets to experience these like whispering sounds and like the sound of me masticating and like chewing food and like having yeah, yeah. it through my esophagus yeah, yeah. out loud. 
And someone also like recorded the audience reaction. <laughs> like it went from like sheer like joy to like horror, you know. And they were also able to like chat with me live while I was uh-huh. in the other room. So the setup was the live audience was watching me doing a broadcast live. They're like mm-hmm. sitting in a chair watching me being projected on the screen while I'm like literally in the next room next to them. Yeah, and I'm like having a talk with them, and they're just like hearing me like. Yeah, just eating eating pad thai. <laughs> and I eventually um put like bleach and white paint to make a fusion pad thai and like uh-huh. blended it in a blender. But I didn't eat that. Hopefully, so. you didn't eat it. No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> not a suit. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I didn't eat it. But someone did comment that like <laughs> this whole thing was like a horror movie or something like that, which really uh flattered me. <laughs> yeah, felt really yeah. Great. I think there's a sort of creepiness in the way that you're kind of speaking to the audience. That was hard to take your eyes off, you know, as a viewer. You know, how did you end up choosing pad thai over any any other sort of Thai food? And uh, yeah, did you make the pad thai yourself? Did you order it? The other thing that I was thinking about when I watched that film was, I was thinking of you know Rick Rick's you know food pieces where he basically serves pad thai in in a gallery. I'm not. Sure, I assume you know that piece. I'm just curious. Like, how did you think yeah, about regret. that relationship? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, pad thai is here to stay, and like yeah. the Thai contemporary art canon. You know, like it's yeah, like yeah. the staple that I just have to like keep reaching like into. Yeah. And to me, like it's like loaded at this point. You know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So at first, I I was like, maybe I just eat like crappy food. But then I was like, actually, I want to enjoy this. You know, like. <laughs> And so, Nata Palma, who is another Thai artist at the Santa Fe Art Institute, was kind enough to make me a delicious plate oh, of really? Thai. So oh, <laughs> I was able to eat it with like the Thai eggplant and everything. Oh, yeah, nice. so I definitely had support in that. And I think he was kind of like offended. And at first, I was like, maybe I'll just do like a Trader Joe like a Thai. <laughs> and he's like, excuse me. <laughs> like, <laughs> this bitch no <laughs> i can just see it in space and so he made me a really nice plate at the time oh, that's awesome yeah. so you know kind of going back to the the thai food i know you know one of the last projects that that you or maybe are still doing the the fuck fuck industry that particular project i'm like actually really interested in in terms of like all the politics of it i still feel like people still don't know how to talk about it so i was curious if you could talk about you know what inspired you to talk about this idea of appropriation food appropriation the power dynamics of who gets to make what you know your project directly kind of talks in many different ways about these different power dynamics yeah, Fok Fok Industries is a multi-genre, multi-media project in which I incorporate digital media and performance and sculpture um, to talk about food and power. The concept is that I'm taking the restaurant called Pok Pok, which mm-hmm. was very popular in the West Coast and started in Portland, and I copy it. I would take things that they were doing with their newsletter, their product description, and I would funnel it through at the source to make it into broken English. I would take their merchandise and kind of do a, a riff off on it. I consulted like an intellectual property lawyer to kind of understand the loopholes and like where I can go. Yeah, Like I wanted like how how this started was uh, I wanted to conceive a project about food and power and understanding the pitfalls of, you know, tropes 
in food and like Asian artists making work about food, being pigeonholed to make work about food, to do subservient kind of mm-hmm. acts of ho- like hospitality art, like to be the accommodator of something so that like institutions would feel multicultural, like that they have like the diversity of like an Asian artists like making food for them and like you know like mm-hmm. impressing their funders with things like that and so like I want it all you know like and like I I understand that like me entering that I would have to like talk about food politics like lunchbox politics which is something very um popular in like mainstream Asian American conversation which is just like microaggressions when it comes to food right like these Asians talking about representation and things like that and so I want to like put myself into that world mm-hmm. you know and like it opened up a lot of conversation about economy about capital like who has the capital and and also to, to clarify for the listeners so Pak Pak was a restaurant that uh, serves Thai food but was started by a white dude who did lots of traveling in Thailand, as I understand it. And that, that was sort of the power dynamic that I think your fuck-fuck industry was sort of kind of maybe talking about and criticizing, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, he can do whatever he wants, I guess. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. can do whatever I want, you know? Yeah, and yeah. I guess now that we share ancestors now, like, I just feel like that was mine to take. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like, it's mine now. So yeah, yeah. did they ever respond to you or? I don't think so. I don't think okay. they ever will. And like, it's also because like, I'm not making a large amount of money now. Like, yeah, but maybe yeah, yeah. I like make bank on it. So like, you know, but like, if he likes it, that's cool. Like everybody is entitled to their own opinion, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and so I know right now you're in Pittsburgh and you've done a lot of different of these um, residencies, you know, you've hopped around, you did the Santa Fe uh, residency and our institute, did Caldera. Uh, I know you did something at the Pittsburgh Glass Center and, and now you are um, doing something at Bunker Projects. And so I was curious, how has it been like in terms of all this travel? How important, you know, is this sort of residency hopping for your art practice what are some of the difficulties in terms of all these travel and um, and what was, and also the other question that I thought was or what was your connection to Pittsburgh like how did you end up I know you even before you went to Bunker you did stuff with the Pittsburgh Glass Center you know been a lecturer at Carnegie Mellon University and so you know how did all of that sort of come together Yeah when I was doing my new media fellowship at Open Signal I was like facilities are great like mm-hmm. me as an artist I need a studio but also I really like facilities that I could explore my creative options with. They have the equipment for me, they have the people for me, they have tech support. And so I I realized like how valuable residencies were. And so I was like, I need facilities. So I like start to got serious, like I started to be really serious and intentional about applying to things. And I also was really curious about class. So I applied to be in a show at the Pittsburgh Glass Center. And, you know, they also have a program where non-glass artists could mm-hmm, do yeah. like a residency there. And so yeah. I was there for, um, you know, fall and winter 2019. Oh, okay. Wow. That's quite a while. Yeah. So I, I made that decision to like pursue art. And before that, I was like kind of like one foot in, one foot out. Like maybe I'll just try. Like maybe yeah. I'm not really an artist. Yeah. You know, maybe like I'll go back to like get a normie job. Or something, and like forget art again. I'll just norm core myself the rest of my life. And then I went to the Glass Center and I started making work, and I was like, 
yeah, this is how I think, man. I'm just going to do some glass chicken wings. I'm just going to do this and that. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. if Pop Pop's known for their chicken, like, I also want to be known for my chicken, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I casted that. And then I went to Santa Fe Art Institute next in New Mexico. And that was amazing. Like, I met, like, artists that I really vibe with. You and, met like, Carol there, right? Yes. Like, I was going to say art legend. <laughs> and so I met Carol there. A shout out to Carol Zoe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes and then and then i was in Wasaic projects project in upstate new york and then COVID happened mm-hmm. yeah but like i had these things line up back to back yeah and i realized like as depressing like traumatizing of like 2020 was i realized that i had a lot to say like and i realized that i had a lot of process and i was able to do art yeah and so that kind of kept me going. And Chautauqua was an amazing experience, even when it was virtual. Like even when like we couldn't go to the residency, like we found like support and strength yeah, yeah. through the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so like that really set things up for me of like, yeah, I, I need to do this for myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you think you're going to keep doing the residency hopping for as long as possible? Or do you sort of have like a end goal to to settle down? And I ask this only because the one thing I've, you know, I did the residency hopping for about a year and and a half. Mm -hmm. And then it's hard to to set any sort of roots, you know, in, in all the different places that you're kind of being. Like, yeah, you can have a show maybe here and there, depending on the residency, but like there's a harder to commit to buying materials for, you know, certain exhibitions, harder to commit to also, you know, like I said, creating connections to have like shows beyond the show that's part of the residency and also harder to meet people, you know, as you're moving from place to place on a monthly basis, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are the pitfalls, you know, and, you know, I, I realized, I was like, I need a storage space. I need this. I need that, you know, <laughs> yeah. to like accommodate, yeah. like, yeah. being mobile, you know. And um, sometimes it's like, oh, my God, these are, like, I, I realized, like, I just talked to strangers for, like, two years. <laughs> like, I was just yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. everyone's a stranger to me. Yeah. And we, we make it work. <laughs> and, you know, I would say, like, <laughs> I made a joke today. I was like, you know, as long as you, like, don't fall in love like you're fine like you can like like, go hopping (laughs) as long as there like aren't things that are like binding you to a place Uh Uh but then i was like but if you like dive head in yeah like maybe it'll fizzle out by the time you leave like you know (laughs) but i was just making some (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah don't fall in love (laughs) what what else so don't fall in love anything anything else for aspiring residency hoppers get to know the locals like yeah. When I was in Santa Fe, I know like the Thai aunties, you know, uh-huh. like there were like 10 of them and me being there increased the population. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. 20%. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like, and I, I, I would joke with them, like, I was like, oh, this is like Thai town LA. It's like, <laughs> like Thai town Santa Fe, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would baby me. They would, mm. you know, make tons of food. They were like, you want to go to the gym and like, you know, go soak? And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, and in Pittsburgh, you know, I really enjoy talking to people who don't do art. Like, I like that stimulation as well. Yeah, yeah. So in Chicago, I was like, oh, I, I was in Chicago for a bit. I was rooming with some like University of Chicago, like, 
math students and I was okay. like hey you know <laughs> like I love understanding the environment around like yeah. art and yeah. yeah so I'd say be curious <laughs> yeah what else I don't know <laughs> okay Oh, oh yeah. Like waterproof everything. Like I'm like weatherproofing, like my bags, my luggages, like my shoes, my coats. Like you never know the weather. Are you driving from residency to residency? No, I'm flying. Oh, you're flying. Okay. I acknowledge that like there are certain places where you just have to blend in. <laughs> so don't look like you work in tech at all. Like that's like <laughs> doing it Rob. Okay. Like <laughs> just... I guess be savvy when you're you're traveling. So that's yeah, yeah, when you have the yeah. yeah, yeah. Where has been your your most me- one of the more memorable residencies you went to? Yeah, I love Santa Fe. I love artists hanging out with artists. I realize that artists make the residencies. You know? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Really, like the artists make the art world. <laughs> really, like none of you would have been here. <laughs> so. Yeah, I like just getting to know people. Yeah. I also love Chautauqua. Like, I know it was virtual, but like Chautauqua, people just love each other. Like, they're like lovey-dovey. And to form that community that's so tight and respectful is like very valuable. Yeah, yeah. You know, during COVID. Yeah, yeah. Like, where people don't want to get on Zoom, but like, these people do. They're like, we need each other. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, I think the community aspects of art places is uh, like what makes me like it so much. Yeah. Well, and also I think that I know you mentioned that like you've sort of basically met strangers for two years, you know, but I also feel like I feel like these residencies are also they're strangers, but also not in the sense that you depending on the setup, you know, you are basically seeing a stranger for an intense amount of time in a very usually private setting, you know, like you, you have dinner together or breakfast together or lunch together, you, you, uh, see each other's work. You, um, are suddenly both sleeping in the same area location, which is strange to both people. And I have found that on one hand is strangers and the other, they're also like these very unique relationships that are sort of built because of this weird artificial setting that is the residency. For sure. It's like the real world. Art yeah, residency. it's basically art camp. I don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are people I just like adore, you know, yeah. and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad we met. And like, I hope that we stay in community together. And there are like certain parts where it's like, I can't believe we're roommates and I wish we weren't. <laughs> you know, like, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the norm, I guess. Like, that's what you get when you go to these places. You put yourself out there. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so how long will you be in, in at Bunker? Is that set or that's also up in the air with stuff? That's up in the air, you know, okay. with everything reopening right now, like a lot of things are shifting. So yeah, yeah. I'm trying to like feel it out. Yeah, yeah. In terms of, you know, still like seeking facilities, like I feel a little bit committed to it still. I Yeah, I, I feel still like there are certain places that are still calling me. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that this is what I'm navigating with, mm. you know, like I, I feel a call towards. Yeah. Yeah. Your ghosts, your past lives are <laughs> telling you to go there, right? They're usually like my chatty ancestors are like, Hey, uh, we're going to yeah. like go here and we're going to like vacation. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I think we've talked about a lot of different things as we're wrapping up. Are there any any last words that you want to talk about? Any shout outs? You know where people can find you online. Yes, so you can find me online on Instagram at May Melissa Cat with a Z at the end and cats. Yeah, May Melissa Cat because Instagram deleted my IG way back then, and I was like, you know what? Why are you doing? You know, I I had this weird period where I had to like make like an Instagram bot and it was like, Hey, we see you. Where's just going to like take your account away. You know, it was, uh, it was yeah. that moment, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just connect with me through, through Instagram and like, give me a, Hey, <laughs> and that's it. Cool. Well, yeah. And you know, let me know what I'm really curious what you end up doing with karmic two, And I'll, sh- I'll show you my weird, you know, white horror film when that gets finished. And maybe we could yeah. do maybe we could do like this uh, a two you know two person exhibition about you know horror. Oh my god, that would be awesome! Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And um, yeah, I really appreciate the conversations that we're having. I think they're really relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on here. And yeah, hopefully we'll get to meet in the future when it's safe to travel. And uh, when everyone's vaccinated and yeah, I mean, love to see your work in real life at some point. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much, May. And yeah, see you soon. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Z1 Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website www.seeingcolorpod.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle seeingcolorpod. If you enjoy this show and have the time, I'd appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcast or wherever you listen and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and gives greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening, and goodbye for now.